Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast is sponsored by ProGK. For all your goalkeeping needs, please visit www.pro-gk.com using coupon code MOG for 20% discount. Carly Telford, thank you for joining me tonight on Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast. How are you? I'm great, and as always, thanks for having me, Guy. No, no um, problem. Honored to be part of the uh, of the Ministry clan. Yep, brilliant to have you uh, on board. So, obviously, we've just been having a little chat there, a little bit of a catch up um, between us. We worked out that we've been friends now for around about fourteen and a half years, um, and it's made us feel both quite old and ancient. Hundred <laughs> percent. Not to give ages away, but yeah, it was. Um, no, sound very old. We're, we're still young bucks. Um, I sort of likened us both to an ASDA own brand fine wine. Um, and all I'm seeing is when I met Glenn, he had a full head of hair. <laughs> that is very, very below the belt. Thank you very much. I keep this hair short because it's easier to manage. <laughs> Oh gosh! Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. Again, thank you for coming on. I think that um, the listeners are going to take um, a lot of value from your experiences, um, and obviously, it's been for me a pleasure um, to to watch um, from afar your career over the years and and see you progress. Um, lots of subjects that I'd like to discuss tonight um, within the hour. Um, just looking back at your career, CT. You started yeah. off your youth career at Chesterley Street, um, yeah. then moved to Newcastle, and then you sort of um, went across the divide and joined Sunderland. How did that come about? Yeah, so the Newcastle thing, basically, so I was playing at Chester Street. Um, it's my local town, and it was the first girls' team that I played for, so I played at school just like probably most girls who, if they wanted to play football, that's where we kind of all started out, if, if schools would let us, and... I was really blessed. Our um, head teacher at the time was pretty much made no kind of qualms that I was a girl, that I was any different. I just looked in with the lads and a lot of the lads that I grew up with, I still have contact now. In fact, my best mate, he came up to the World Cup with me a couple of years ago, um, which was amazing. But yeah, because I think the teacher didn't put any, uh, didn't make it seem weird or different. Um, I was accepted a lot more, played outfield and then yeah, Chester Street's where I found the gloves um, accidentally. Um, so I turned up to that trial with a goalkeeper shirt on. My mum was trying to keep me warm at the time. So the shirt on. It was back in them days was nice and thick um, to keep me warm. And they asked if I played in goal. I proved myself and thought if I didn't say yes, then they might send me away. So I agreed to it. Chucked me some gloves and I never went back outfield. And, and from then, um, yeah, my dad was pretty keen to try and help me get some goalkeeper coaching, as you can imagine, at grassroots football. Even in boys and men's football, it's hard to have a goalkeeping coach. And in women's football, it was a bit tougher. So um, he sent me on a goalkeeping day, uh, which he paid, like, I think it was like 30 quid for. And you went for the day. Um, and out of, like, 90 lads, I was the only girl there. So, um, yeah, that was pretty daunting, but also, like, really, really fun. Um, and Simon Smith, who was running the goalkeeping um, day at the time, decided that I was actually quite good and he invited me to train with the academy boys on an evening so I would go there before I went to my girls training um, I'd go there five to six then my dad would drive me seven to about half eight over back over to Chesley Street and I'd do that as much as I could because right. I absolutely loved it um, <clears throat> lads looked after me and then unfortunately after about six months I got a little bit older and um, 
Smithy said to me he couldn't he couldn't keep me on anymore because they have to do contracts etc which was which was obviously a bit gutting but um, that's when I signed also for my first female I guess semi professional team which was Sunderland so I never actually played for Newcastle officially um, yeah. I was just training with Smithy and Academy lads when I was like what fourteen I think I was thirteen fourteen. Um, and it was just a way of me getting some extra coaching in. And I think still to this day, me and Smithy keep in touch, which is, which is amazing, Simon Smith, and he's still coaching the, the lads at uh, first team at Newcastle. But I think anyone that works with me, um, anyone that has worked with me, um, will pick up very quickly. And they'll ask me always, did I work with Simon Smith because of the way I work and the way I was coached? And I think I learned all my traits and um, ways of, of goalkeeping from Simon Smith. And he's not a bad guy to, to learn off, even no. if it was Nice. Uh, yeah, and then I played for Sunderland, and that's kind of where my career, uh, I guess my women's career or first team career, kicked off, which is um, which is crazy. I was playing first team football at 14 years old. Uh, there wasn't any rules back then that you had to be 16 or 18 to play first team football. Um, it was just kind of like off you go, enjoy it, being selected. So, yeah, I had 30 year old women screaming at me when I'd, I'd let a goal in, or if I didn't do a pass very well, or if I didn't do as well as they thought. So it was pretty daunting. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 quite an introduction there to sort of <laughs> senior <laughs> women's football. Floats on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't change my path for, for the world, and it was. Um, yeah, I was just so lucky to have so many experiences at such a young age, which I think um, set me up quite uh, well for a uh, quite long and um, and decent career, to be mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, so um, I, I want to touch on it in a little while. I want to talk about the opportunities um, that are available uh, to young female footballers nowadays compared to um, what were available to you when you were sort of progressing um, as a as a young female footballer. Um, so I'd like to touch on that in a little while. So from Sunderland, um, you went to Leeds. Is it Carnegie? Is that how you pronounce? Yeah, that? sponsored by. So it was Leeds. It was just Leeds as it was, and right. then the men put ties with us when they again, like most men's team do, unfortunately when relegation and stuff happens and budgets get cut if the women's team or, or any teams affiliated um, usually get cut just because of budgets etc so they were Leeds when I joined them and then they cut it so the university were sponsored by Carnegie so Leeds University sponsored us and we were Leeds Carnegie um, so yeah that was that was I guess the, the name of the time yeah right okay so that's obviously when our paths crossed a little bit that's when yeah. um, you started wearing the Pro GKs and um so the that would head- say that again. <laughs> and the famous headbands. That's oh yeah, head. yeah. Do you remember I tried to get you to wear a Pro GK one? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> and you were like, "No, I don't. I wear the gloves, but I'm not too sure about that." Thanks. Um, but yeah, so that was that was quite a successful time at Leeds, um, where yeah. you you got to the the FA Women's Cup final. Mm. Yeah, we. I mean, we had a great team. We were such a young team. We had a couple of little splashes of. Um, I guess you could say experience in there with the likes of a lot of probably uh, people listening will know the likes of Sue Smith, who now works for Sky Sports a lot and does a lot of the uh, Monday morning morning stuff, the roundup stuff on uh, morning with football. And Lucy Ward, who's doing a lot of the commentating, like they're two kind of older players that were very experienced, were playing for England at the time. And we were just like full of like young young um, England nationals. So there was the likes of me, Steph Horton, who's obviously now England captain, um, Jess Clark, who was a really good player, a, 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 like a winger. Rach Daly, who was who now plays in um, at Houston Dash. Uh, she's right back. Um, we had who else was in there that, that people might have heard of? Um, 
extinct. Sophie Bradley, again, like they're just names that were that went on to to be quite staples in in the England uh, first team. But as a group, Jade Moore, another one, we were we were really young and we just got chucked together with um, with a manager called Rick Passmore. And yeah, we went on to FA Cup final, which was amazing. Unfortunately, we got beat four 0 but I got through the match. I think I think it was about thirty five shots on target, and the only 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 scored four, which. Uh, it was pretty good, pretty good in a way, but obviously I was disappointed to not win the game, but uh, to get a good pat on the back and and um, and get the pro GKs out with a with a nice bottle of champagne. Yeah, still... that I've still got that photograph somewhere. <laughs> we might have to dig that one out um, yeah. and, and show the listeners. Um, um, a white headband, but yeah, it was it was a great time. Yeah, we 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 had, we had a really good side, and um, unfortunately. Uh, Things happen which were beyond our control. That that side didn't want to do greater things, unfortunately. So, so whilst you was at Leeds, you, I, I'm pretty sure from memory, you was still working. Is that that's right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So um, at the time, I was working in a call centre. Uh, a lot of us had jobs that we could work around football. So I was living at home, um, still in, in Newcastle, and I'd work eight till four, nine till five at a call centre. Um, because it was Monday to Friday, so I needed my weekends free, and it meant I could get away and absolutely pelted down the A19 and A1 to get to Leeds uh, for an 8 o'clock start, um, or 7, 8 o'clock start, to be on the lights and on the grass on 3G for, like, say, 7, 8 o'clock. Uh, we trained for about an hour and a half, two hours, and then I'd um, bev it all the way back up and get home for about 11, 12 o'clock, and then quickly sleep and do it all again. I do that uh, two nights a week, and then I was lucky enough, like, say, to play on a on a Sunday, um, have the weekend to, to do that, and that's when we were we were part time. But for us, it was like say stepping stones to something better, mm. uh, which obviously it's gone on to be full time now. But yeah, we were we were proper basic, um, just like I guess you could class it as Sunday league. You we got a little bit of money to cover our petrol costs, um, but it was like fifteen p a mile, so it never covered my petrol because mm. I was doing a lot of miles. Some of us would car share if we could, but. Yeah, that was that was um, that's what we did. So it was, um, yeah, it was it was cool. But and we didn't know any different, really. We were just grateful no. to be. No, exactly. Doing what we love. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's one of the things um, that I was obviously, as you know, I spent a bit of time with West Ham with the women's team um, in their first season in the WSL, um, and you know, the season before, I was at Gillingham in League One, and yeah. with the greatest respect, the facilities with West Ham women were better than what Gillingham had in League One in the men's game. Um, so, the, you know, from from when you first started and, and you know, you're playing part-time and you're training on a, a 4G at 8 o'clock at night to, to what, you know, the teams have got now in terms of facilities and their setups and obviously being fully professional... It's like night and day, really, isn't it? Oh, it's it's crazy. Like, and it's funny because obviously we're full time with Chelsea now when we train. I mean, our schedule's pretty much identical to the men's. We're so lucky at Chelsea. We follow. We're so well invested in, looked after. But we have a couple, obviously, with the kids, the youngsters not being at school or being back at school, so part time. A lot of them have been training with us full time, and they're like sixteen, seventeen, and you just, you just, I just was like, imagine being that age and like. One, being involved in the team that they're in with a lot of global superstars and the best players in the world, but also, like, the quality of the pitches that we're on. Like, mm. they're mowed every day, like, they're watered frequently, the balls, like, their kits washed for them every day, their food's provided for them, their gym's right there. Like, they pull up to train in the car park and, like you say, they just have to get changed and get out on the grass and, and do what they love. And I just think, like you say, we're, 
we are playing catch up with the men's game. We will be for a lot for, for the rest of our lives, effectively. But at the same time, like if we can give kids a chance to be on the every day with the football, the gap will get the, the gap will get smaller, and, and technically and tactically, we are get better. But we have to have a, we have to be put on a level playing fleet as such, as, as such, and having just sometimes the grass, the time on the football pitch is a good start. Yeah. So um, I think that we're at that point now where we're finally giving young girls an opportunity to to do what they love and do it from a very young age. And it's like, see, sometimes you think, oh, I'm a little bit jealous of it. But again, if I was five years older, I might not get get the chance to experience it at all, which would have been horrible because I think doing what I love as a full-time job mm. is the best thing in the world. Um, and to do it at such, at such a huge club where we're so appreciated um, from the owner downwards, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really grateful to be part of it. And um, yeah, it's just fantastic that the girls, like say, all over the country now effectively getting the chance to do it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to agree with that. I, I found it fantastic when when I went to West Ham and um, obviously with, with Jack Sullivan and, and, and Matt Beard pushing things there and, you know, I was sort of blown away really by by the resources that, that West Ham had sort of put together and, yeah. and what they were trying to build. And, you know, if it, if it wasn't for Peter Taylor, um, you know, getting in touch and... and you know, basically take me to Dagenham. I'd imagine I'd still be there now at West Ham because it was such um, a, a a really good environment to to work in. You know, whether it's in terms of equipment or just the the facility itself was just fantastic. So, I you know I echo those words. I think the women's game is just kicking on and kicking on, and especially with this investment and and um, BT and BBC getting behind things, it's only going to go one way, and that's you know forwards. <laughs> And it's having it's having someone who's at the helm who can see the long time the long term goals. I think I've seen a stat today saying the growth of the game's gone so quick that if you invest now, um, in five years time you'll return about one hundred and twenty percent of your investment. Like, and that, it's crazy. Like that's how it is. It's it's escalated in, in five years from, like, saying not a lot of people really that fussed about it. People every now and then chucking their hand in the things to like big sponsorship deals. Sky Sports wanting to do Monday nights, Monday night footballs chucking games in between Super Sundays, etc. Mm. And making it kind of a mainstream thing. And it's something that, again, it just becomes part of everyday society. We don't look at it as a one-off, I'm not watching women's football. It's just part of what you do. If you just want to sit on a Sunday and mong out and watch football all day, like you just bounce from game to game. It might be like, say, Chelsea men v Man City at 12.30 kickoff, and then you got Chelsea women straight after. If you were Chelsea fan, you just sat there watching Chelsea play. Like it's, and that's, that's the kind of thing you want. You want to take the... The gender away from it and have the investment and, and give everyone the opportunity to watch it a, a good a good sport effectively yeah. um and yeah and like you say there's, there's always an off button if you don't like it you don't like it you just turn it off like you do more sports i don't sit and watch everything as sports i like sports i don't and um yeah it's just giving it the opportunity to, to to let it fly really and i think everyone's finally starting to see that um if you're a football fan usually you enjoy all sorts of football and that's not just men's. No, no, that's good. And and, and, and long may that continue. Um, so just looking back at your career, so you, you, you whilst, whilst you was at Leeds, yeah. you went to the FIFA Women's World Cup in China. Yeah, yeah I was like a young buck 18. Uh, I'd literally been in the squad for about a year. So I was still playing for the 19s um, and had a couple of uh, good games, good tournaments. Uh, so I got selected to go up to the seniors, especially after the FA Cup game. I started getting included in the 
World Cup qualifiers, etc. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to get selected uh, 19, I think I was, to go to the 2007 World Cup. What an experience. Yeah, like me and, and Jill Scott, who's been my best friend since we were, what, 14, 15, we've played together for Sunderland all the way through different clubs, but mainly in England. Uh, we've we've travelled a lot together and we were just two youngsters chucked in there. And I was obviously went as third, third, uh, third choice to Rachel Brown at the time, who was starting, and, and Siobhan Chamberlain. And, and Jenny was kind of, yeah, she'd only got a couple of caps as well. So we were just like, kids on holiday like when we reflect on it now we look back like we literally were like we were given all this free kit loads of media like uh we got flown to like one of the best hotels we were on a, we were on an island uh, just outside of china for our training camp called macau which had just had like a brand new um venetian casino built on that we got invited to um for the night and we went to we didn't go to the casino but it was a massive shopping mall inside and it was just like wide-eyed bushy-tailed it was weather was beautiful we were Trained at these amazing facilities. Um, I think we played Hong Kong and then we played uh, China and a couple of friendlies beforehand. Uh, yeah, we were just like living our dream. Like we had these big balconies that overlook the water. Um, we was going golfing. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, guys, okay, two of us are like, we're at a tournament. Like we was roomies as well. Yeah. You know, imagine it was just like love and life. And, and yeah, that's back in the days when social media wasn't massive. I think Facebook was was the kind of thing that everyone used. When I look back at photos, I've got a lot of photos that I was tagged in on Facebook with the girls that I was there with, but not a lot else. I didn't, mm. didn't, have, I didn't have nothing. And obviously that's how we we were in contact with each other as well. Mm. Obviously I was, as you know, goalkeeping gloves aren't a cheap thing. And for you to kind of say to me, look, would you wear the gloves? And for me, I remember speaking to my mum and dad and being like, oh, someone wants me to wear My dad was like, right, yeah, get, get them in. <laughs> Gloves. We need them. I can't keep paying eighty pound a time. You need gloves. Well, up for it. But um, yeah, I think the beauty of that is that you became um, a great friend, but also you were kind of the guy that gave me the opportunity to really know what it felt like to have someone believe in you, trust in you, and offer you um, support. Mm. So for me, yeah, wearing the gloves wasn't a problem. But I also have always been so grateful for for you kind of giving me that stepping stone into having the opportunity to wear something that was precious to you, but also meant a hell of a lot to me because uh, my mum and dad or myself wasn't having to pay for, for extortionate amounts for gloves, but I was getting a quality glove that I loved um, and we could kind of watch, go on the journey together with it. So yeah, it was, it was kind of the start of a, a really good friendship and um, yeah, it's still going, but the gloves and myself got to a world cup at the tender age of 19 and, yeah. and Absolutely loved it, and there's a, there was a couple of iconic moments. I think the one where Kelly Smith scores against Japan and kisses her boot. I know that gets chucked around a lot in media, but just to be there in front of 60,000 fans and just lock it all up. We played Germany and narrowly lost to them and got knocked out. I think in the quarters. Um, but yeah, it was just a, an unbelievable experience that that yeah that that set me up for wanting absolutely more of, of that that kind of further on in my career. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can imagine that. I've, I've still got one of your shirts from the World Cup in the uh, in the wardrobe there hanging up. So that's, um, again, I, I, I occasionally pull the shirts out because there's probably about 200 in there from various the, different goalkeepers. Epic ones. Yeah, no, there's some good ones in there. But that, to be fair, that, that means a lot, obviously, because it's one of the first ones that I got. Um, but again, I look at the, the, the year of it, 2007, and I think, <laughs> oh my God, no, no. where's my Barnet uh, one as well? I think it was an umbral shirt, mm. 
wouldn't have been fitted. It was probably a small man's or whatever it was. Or it might have been our first actual like ladies or women's fitted kit. Right. It's like, um, but yeah, looking back at shirts like that, I mean, I've got shirts. My first one that's got like no. It's, my dad, my dad brought some uh, moving house and he brought a couple of my shirts down that were framed. That my first ones and like you see. You could have just got them off anyone. Do you know what I mean? There's no branding on it. There's no who I played against. There's no name on the back. There's no whether it was a World Cup qualifier or what. It's just your bog standard shirt. But only I know that I was the one that stood in net with it. Yeah. Um, that's what it was. And then knew the times that we were in. So it wasn't until you went to a major tournament. And that's why I give you that one that it's actually got my name on the back. Yes. <laughs> like, band, like the little um, crest on the side that says it was like obviously a FIFA World Cup shirt. Yeah. But yeah, so it's crazy, but... Um, well, but it, even, even that's an interesting subject in terms of, like, how far the women's game has come, that, you know, you've got now kits that are manufactured for women, specifically <laughs> for them. And it, and it might sound like there'd be people tuning into this thinking, it's not really that interesting, but when you think about it, it is, because you look back at... I saw some pictures the other day of, I think it was Millwall Lionesses, and they must yeah. have had an old Millwall kit on that the, the men's team had worn and it was so oversized and bring that up because when I played for Sunderland first team so about 14, 15, we'd get the men's kit, which was like Reg Vardy, probably old school like would have been back the days when it was like Kevin Phillips, etc. playing oh, yeah. But we'd get like the staff kit. So come down and everyone would be like rummaging through the bags trying to see if anyone's initials matched theirs and if you found one it was like gold dust and you weren't even bothered about how stupid it looked and how big it was because you, it looked like it was yours <laughs> the, the girls had kit on them that was dangling off them or you were like having a triple tie like the waistband or it was like grotty but you were just so grateful that you actually had a legit piece of kit because like it just meant so much it was like proper official like the men's like just you just felt like a proper player but yeah we were like effectively wearing kit that had been worn all year from the men and the staff which when you think about it it was tired it had been through the wash like a million times so it strong comes all like to shrivel but we was buzzing with it because yeah. just happy to like say like look like we were part of the club and um, but it was just like that's that's how it was like and i'm sure there's a lot of people that will listen that can relate to that in terms of probably men's teams that they've played for or, or teams where they were maybe youngsters or, or the reserves and then you got the men's first team kit and you were just like okay like we'll just have to deal with it or you were buzzing because it was actually like a nice piece of kit rather than just uh something that like you say you do a backpack for and then they buy out the pro direct soccer and it's it's, it's, it's awful um but yeah it's uh yeah it's come a long way thankfully. yeah well I was, I was just thinking about my my youth team days and I remember we, we wore the first team kit for a final and it was just like, I'm in goal and I've got probably a triple XL and I'm about 12 years old. So I think I think we've all been through it. Um, yeah. So just looking at your career, obviously from Leeds you moved to Chelsea. Um, yeah. Was that under under Beardy? Yeah, it was. It was Beardy. It was Beardy brought me down. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, effectively, Beardy was he was manager at Charlton, and then Charlton went. I was about to go to Charlton, um, and they, that, they again they went through a tough time with the men's. The men's got relegated, and they folded. And the women's team at Charlton was, was full of internationals, and uh, Beardy pinched a lot of them. Um, some went to Arsenal, some went to, to Fulham, etc., and very local teams. But um, he took a few of us to, to a few people that were about to sign or were already signed at Charlton to, to Chelsea, and. Yeah, that was, again, like a big move for me because Sunderland um, weren't doing that great. And for me, it was an opportunity to, to play in what was then the WSL, 
which was the first kind of year of it trying to go professional. Yeah, I just I just wrote that down in my my notes. First season of the, of the WSL, so that was going to be a follow up question. Was Chelsea part time or were they turning full time then? What was the situation? No, it was exactly the same as I was at Leeds. So right. I was training two nights a week. Um, Chelsea allowed us to drive onto their facilities at eight o'clock at night and would. We had to sit in our cars and wait for, um, effectively, the green light to be able to walk onto the 3G, uh, which, if anyone's been to Cobham, is um, not isolated, but it's kind of in the middle of the training ground. Um, and, yeah, it's floodlit, so we used to train there at night time. And we'd get kicked off. Well, the lights would just effectively go out. Sometimes they'd be on for the allotted time, the two hours we were meant to be there. Sometimes the lights would go off and baby would just have to <laughs> collect the cones up and we'd just have to leave. But... We weren't allowed in any of the buildings. Uh, it was kind of like, don't really speak to anyone. So my security guards were like, why are you here? Because they didn't really know we were meant to be there or train at that time. And yeah, it was very, very basic and probably not so much like we were washing our own kit or baby would take the kit home on a Sunday after a game. Uh, we were given Chelsea training kit, um, but you only have one set of it, which again was what, what I was used to. Uh, but again, there was a lot of kind of promises and things getting thrown about that mm. it was going to go more professional, but it never really did. Uh, we didn't really do that well either. We were, I think, third, third bottom, something like that. Uh, so it wasn't. But again, we were falling behind a lot of the clubs like Liverpool, uh, which are the opposite now, funnily enough, had invested very heavily, very quickly. Mm. Arsenal was still very good. Um, Birmingham had a good outfit and we were kind of new into it. And yeah, we were a bit of a we, we were in a great side and yeah you could see that we were probably one of the teams training very part-time and it was very still unfortunately back then. so how did you how did you manage your your situation because if you're part-time did you you move down to london yeah i moved down and i had to continue to work so i worked in a call center for t-mobile so when i moved down to london Luckily, I was re- I was Vic Akers tried to sign me at Arsenal when I was 18, but I decided to, to not move to Arsenal. I stayed at Leeds. So right. I had a really relationship with Vic Akers. But at the same time, I moved to Chelsea. Step Houghton, who I was with at Leeds, uh, she moved to Arsenal. So when I moved down, um, we, Chelsea didn't have any accommodation for us and they certainly weren't going to pay for any accommodation. So I had to ask Steph if she'd like to be a kind of to move into a flat with her and obviously I had to ask um, Arsenal's permission because they were paying for accommodation at the time and Vic Akers very nicely said that I could live with Steph right. I had to pay towards some of the rent um, so I moved from being working in a call centre to working um, part time in Hertfordshire in a T-Mobile phone shop so and I went from um, being on the phones to selling phones to being in a store selling phones um, wow. and trying to be as flexible as I could with the manager and working uh, make sure I finished work luckily because it was in a town centre we finished the most time you could work was up to five o'clock um, and then I just obviously tried to avoid working Sundays because I had games mm. and then trying to get Saturdays if we had overnight stays that I'd finish at 12 if I needed to work but yeah it was just kind of all, all sorts of planning because I needed the extra money again it wasn't paying a lot of money to play for Chelsea either that I had to have a a part-time job to, to kind of pop up for my rent. Um, but again, that was just what most of us were doing. Arsenal were very lucky in the fact that um, they had a bit more money and we, we could house their players full-time and not, they didn't have to pay anything. But for Chelsea at the time, we couldn't couldn't mm. do that. And you know what it's like living in London? It's a bit of a shock when you go from being a North East girl um, to paying extortionate amounts for it. Oh, yes. Flat, you can barely swing a cat round. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, it was it was interesting. But again, it was just like I was happy to do it because I was doing what I loved and yeah. I enjoyed the 
uh, playing with the girls. I mean, the, the the thing that comes to mind there is that that's a huge sacrifice, though. You know, you've you've moved down south, um, away from home, away from your support network, um, basically for a job that's part time and essentially doesn't pay enough. So then you've got to have a full time job. Your a, a friend's lodger, if you like. Yeah, uh-huh. I think and as well, we only had one year contract, so there's no such thing as like a, a multi-year deal sort of thing, because uh, it was just so new, so I was just there for the year, effectively, as mm. far as I knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's as, as we said, the things that, you know, female footballers had to go through back then to chase and follow their dreams is, is quite incredible, really. Um, and again, it just shows. That I don't. Keep, I don't want to keep harping on about it, but it shows the fantastic strides that the women's game has done um, over the last four, five, six years to really professionalise itself and you know make it actually a career. Um, and that if you know you've got these young girls coming through the systems at all these clubs, that they've got role models ahead of them. You know, people like yourself and Steph and and. You know, the young girls can actually look at this and go, Do you know what? I want to be a professional footballer and I can be. Yeah. And that's the nice thing now, like when you meet parents or like at England games and there's been like, well, when we were allowed crowds, like when we're filling stadiums and you're playing in front of them and you go and sign shirts and stuff after a game and you see people holding like a sign up, we sign up, can I have your shirt, Carly? And you just think like it's crazy, like. It's like strangers want to be like you, want your gloves, your shirts, your whatever, want you to sign pictures for them, have pictures with them. And then, like you say, it's parents, you can turn around and say it to them. Like, they're like, oh, how did you get into it? Or what did you do? And I'm just like, just get your head down, make sure they work hard. But you can also say it to them, like, it'll be worth it. Like, if they do, if they work hard. What, like, my parents were like, uh, she's making big decisions and it might not work out. But like, my mum always used to say, like, you can always come home. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, the model that buys it. And, she said it to me, my brother and sister, like, whatever you decide, you can always come home. And I was just like, well, I can, like, and that's the worst thing that can happen is that I end up home and back in a call centre, which I was doing, I was doing yeah. that anyway. So I might as well take a leap with it. It's just so nice now you can say to, like, dads and, and mums that are a bit worried about the, the little girls that, for me, I had friends that I grew up with who were 18, 19, 20, had to make decisions and a lot of them decided to be dentists and teachers and they still message me now and they're just like, oh, I wish I'd have just stuck at it. And it was, but like you say, there were decisions that were your livelihood. Like, did you want to live off small amounts of money or did you want to just have some job security and get mm-hmm. a house and actually live a normal life? Or were you happy to just kind of, a bit like me, just move from place to place and just hope that, like say, it, it works out. And thankfully it did. And um, yeah, I can look back now and say it was all good, but now there's a lot more stability for youngsters and in, in their futures and mm-hmm. in, in what do when it comes to football I think there's a lot of value to be taken out of that I mean you know you've met my dad and my family and and they're all they've all been supportive of me as as your family as of you and I you know I go back to 2010 and I've got a flat and a a window cleaning business and a glove brand and then I go to my dad's one day and said listen I've been offered a job in America Um, I'm going to quit it all and I'm going to move over there (laughs) and my dad was like "Mm, are you sure (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because if it don't work out, I'll always just move back and move into yours. And and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but these are the things, you know. You 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 yeah. have to take these risks um, to to follow your dreams and chase your dreams, and you know to have a, a support network around us. I think you know we've been very lucky in, in our respective careers. For sure. Um, so 
Another interesting move was uh, the winter season. You went across to Australia and you went on loan to Perth Glory. Yeah, so when they first launched the WSL, there was this big thing of like, we don't want to compete with the men's league because we're going to start showing it on a bit on TV and blah, blah. So everyone was like, right, so if we play in the winter, in the summer, sorry, WSL's in the summer, men's in the winter, we, we should get a good kind of bounce off each other. Plus, we play most of our tournaments through the summer. So it kind of interlinks that we'll be having a good pre-season, a few games, then we go into major tournaments, all look great. So when we come to finish in October, I was like, well, I think I've, I think I've got injured. I've had a few, I've had a few shoulder injuries. So I spoke to Hope Powell at the time and said, this is also when they first introduced um, central contracts to England players, which was a massive boost to me because it meant I could quit my team mobile job. Um, so that was the first kind of centrally contract, and, and I guess you could say big money. I think it was sixteen grand a year uh, they paid us to to quit our jobs as such and become full time professional footballers. So I think there was. I think it was 16 of us. Um, so in that respect, I said to Hope, um, can I go and play in Australia? I know Jodie Taylor at the time, who was an English striker, had played out there and I had a few words with her. And she hooked me up with a, with a guy called Jamie, who at the time was, well, she's Tom, Tom Samani first. He was like USA national coach. Yeah. He was an Australian and he put me in contact with Jamie, who was Perth Glory's coach. And I said, would you have me? And he said, we'd love to. So we worked it out that I went and spent uh, three and a half, four months out in Perth, um, having the most amazing time. And anyone that's ever spoke to me about going playing Australia, I've always recommended it 100%. For the football is is entertaining. It's not best level because you have a you only allow three internationals in each team, and it's a lot of it's to help their homegrown players play. Um, but it's just more the lifestyle. Mm. Uh, I was training four or five nights a week. We train one early morning just because of how hot it was. And then we'd spend the rest of our time at the beach, going to coffee shops. A lot of teams are on the, the, the East Coast, so we do a lot of back-to-backs and stay out in Brisbane and um, Sydney for, for a week or so and then travel about. And it was just, yeah, it was... Sounds awful. One of the best experiences ever. Um, I made so many cool friends uh, from all over the world. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was perfect, apart from getting re-injured at the end of the season again, which, which didn't do me too good. No. <laughs> but as an experience, I mean... Yeah, that that does sound quite uh, quite the experience. Um, yeah. So you then come back to to Chelsea. Yeah. Um, played six games. Yeah. And then you moved to Notts County. How did that come about? So uh, one of the we got to the playoffs in um, in Perth uh, against Sydney. Um, we played against Sydney, and sorry, in in Australia we played against Sydney. And funnily enough, uh, that was my first kind of running with Sam Kerr, who much of us, many people have probably heard of now because she plays for Chelsea. Um, Cross comes in, I punch the ball, she punches my hand and completely smashes my hand, so I need surgery on it. Um, I'm about to go back to Chelsea for a for a pre-season, um, and yeah, my hand gets messed up a second time. So one of my first sessions back, we're doing a cross and finishing session again. Uh, I've come out and caught the ball, but it just hit my hand funny and refractured my hand. Uh, this is also a time when Emma Hayes comes back to the UK and takes over Beardy's job. Um, so I'm captain of Chelsea at the time. Emma Hayes comes in, tells me all these amazing plans that she's going to, she wants to win the league in the next couple of years, wants to challenge the Champions League. And then I'm sitting around looking around at the dressing room at the time. We haven't got a building, we're not allowed here. And then she wants to do all these amazing things and, and release a lot of players and bring all these players in. I'm thinking, I don't know if she's going to do it. And uh, yeah, 
played a couple of games at first, the start of the Summer League, and then uh, come to a restructuring of the league and went back to wintering in that summer. She released me and just said, we're not going to um, to keep you on. Uh, we're going to look elsewhere. And so, yeah, I was I didn't see it coming in a way. And I resented her for quite a long time. Um, and funny enough, my old Leeds manager, uh, at the time when Leeds got kind of made redundant, uh, he was now coach of Notts County, who had just been accepted into the WSL. So at the time you had to apply to be in the league, you had to have a certain amount of money, etc., to be in the league, and Notts County had, had done that and hit all the boxes. So he was now the new manager of Notts County. So, yeah, I, I want to adventure with him again in my career, no or, um, and yeah, I ended up at Notts County playing for playing for them for a few seasons. And that was quite a successful time. Um, you got to a, another FA Cup final, is that right? Yeah, FA Cup final, a League Cup final. Again, we managed to assemble a, a, a very balanced group. I think I would be, what, mid-20s by now. Uh, again, picked up a few senior caps along the way. was still in around second and third choice at England, but pretty steady within the group. Um had gone to Euros, Mr. Euros, um, gone to or Mr. World Cup, I think it was, um, some due to injury suit, some due to form. Um, but yeah, for, for Knotts, he managed to get a few of the players back that uh, he did have at Leeds. Um, also acquired the likes of, of Ellen White from Arsenal at the time who moved. Um, and we had quite a decent... Um, uh, spine of the team with someone who could score us goals and we had quite a settled team at the back and we didn't concede a lot um, so that was that was quite it just didn't really get us where we wanted to be which was more towards the top end of the table we were pretty much a solid mid-table so yeah so, um, but yeah and we were managing to scrap our ways into finals and um, for that reason so we were a good cup team um, and a pretty um, solid or average league team but for us we were a small budget we were small fish in a big pond at this point. Um, the likes of, like, say, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal. Budgets had gone up through the roof, and a lot of internationals were at those, those, play, those teams. Um, and, yeah, they, they went on to be very successful. But for me, it was about kind of getting back into making sure every time we played Chelsea, I played well, because I didn't like it, because it didn't ever done to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also making sure that I was just trying to play as well as I could and as consistently as I could to, to try and make ways at, at England. Yeah. So I'm assuming at that time, because when you when you look at um, the women's game at the time, there was there was a handful of sort of um, smaller uh, clubs in terms of your Notts Counties and your Leeds and and people like that. Um, <clears throat> obviously, their men's teams were sort of League One, League Two at the time, so yeah. that obviously would affect the budgets of the women's teams. Um, Within reason, I would say Notts County were probably punching above their weight um, as, as the whole of a club, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and that's the thing, like, I didn't realise how budget we were run until I left the club and went to, and obviously got picked up by Chelsea, which is, is a little bit later on. But honestly, like, how our club even competed with the likes of these teams and how we sometimes match them by picking up cheeky draws or we'd knock them out in a cup competition or we just run them to, like, the 89-minute, like... It was just, it was, it's just unbelievable. And like credit, we had like three staff. We had Rick, who was manager, Colin, who was assistant, and we had an C coach, a part-time physio, and a general manager who was kind of between both the men and the women's team. And that was our full capacity of staff who were looking after 16, 17 girls. 
uh, some who were international. Um, I don't know how Rick managed to do that. He's mm. quite. Um, but getting some of these Canadian, New Zealand internationals to come and play for us, as well as England internationals. Um, but he was just he was just really good at doing that and motivating us to find a way to win. And we did play at the men's stadium, which was was is we we had such. To be fair, we had probably I think one of the most best and loyal fan bases in the league, and we'd regularly get at least a thousand plus, if not more. Which unfortunately for us, playing in a huge stadium like Notts County didn't seem that much because mm-hmm. it would just kind of make a small dent in the large large stand. But they could make some noise and they were there every week and they'd follow us around. And it was just unfortunate what happened with the club. Um, that it, again, it, it comes down to budgeting and, and the men's team, unfortunately, not doing very well. And new owners not wanting to invest that the club went on to fold. Mm, yeah, that was sad. Um, so I just want to talk about your England career. So in yeah. that time whilst you was at Notts County, you went to the World Cup in, in Ch- uh, Canada, I should say, yeah. um, where England finished third. Um yeah. Just before we started recording the pod, you and I was talking about your England career. Um, yeah. Your first cap was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you've had 23 full international caps, but it wasn't until... 29 now, I think officially, I think I'm on 29. 29, right, okay, so Wikipedia's let me down again. Um, yeah. If there's any discrepancies in any bits of information, <laughs> I just blame Wikipedia. Um, but you know, we, we were saying that you know you've been in and around the England setup for a long time now. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until sort of the last three or four years that you you really sort of established yourself as taking that number one jersey. Yeah, and I think that look, it's it's really hard I think for people to grasp sometimes like the what makes a, a very good goalkeeper, I think there's a lot of maturity goes along with it. Um, and I, when I look at all the previous kind of England number, number ones and long-established England number ones, they weren't really established until they were 28, 29, 30, which when you look at it, that's a long time to sit and wait in the wings. But yeah. it is part and parcel of, I guess, what we have to do. And if you look at the, the England debate at the minute in the men's side, we've got Pickford, who's what, 27, 28 maybe? I, I don't know, I might be over-egging him here, could be younger. Poby, who's about the same age. And you've got someone like Hendel um, and Sam Johnson. But, I mean, Hendel's like a little bit younger than all two of them. But that's probably why he's, he's being held back a little bit. And that's mm. no disrespect to him as a goalkeeper. He's fantastic. But they're probably looking at his maturity and and whatnot. And I think it's the same in most goalkeepers. I think even if you're looking at two similar goalkeepers and the, and the saves they're making, the percentages, if you've got one goalkeeper that's maybe 28, 29, or 27, 28, and one goalkeeper that's maybe 21, 22, you kind of go, well, let's go with a more experience. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of how it was for me. There was moments where I was potentially playing more than the older goalkeepers. I was doing well. I was in lots of team of the years, um, PFA team of the years and stuff like that. But I never really was given the opportunity because I was I was young and they always lent on having a more mature goalkeeper in, in big in big campaigns so mm. World Cup qualifiers and and um, and the big tournaments which you just kind of yes it's it's great to all those tournaments but as you get older like say you start getting a bit sick of, of being the supporting goalkeeper of the group um, and again that's something I I guess. You have to learn to be as well because it's quite frustrating to know that you're going to a tournament and you've already been given the 21 shirt, so you already know your position. And it's, yeah. it's, I guess, unfortunate if you do end up playing because something's probably gone very wrong. Mm. <laughs> Lots of injuries or, or suspensions, which is, is unlikely in, in tournament football. But I would never take... I've, I've been left out of tournaments as well. And I, I know for a fact that 
I would rather be there than not. So I've always been very grateful for the opportunity and just to be around the group and go on these, like say, magnificent runs of collecting the bronze medal at Canada and being on an amazing run and being with that group of girls and we'll never forget that. And when you look back uh, in, in 10 years' time, it might be if name the starting 11. There's not many people that can probably name in the starting 11, but we've all got a bronze medal and we're mm. all there. So there's the moments you have to take. And then when you do come to your kind of being on the stage, um, those experiences and those moments definitely come in handy um, when it's your time. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, you know, you, you, you spoke there about being the support act. Um, but, you know, knowing me, uh, knowing you as I do, I should say, I know well, that you would have gone there <laughs> and, and really, you know, taken on board all of those experiences. Um, and then, you know, later on in your career, you're at tournaments and you're playing and, you know, you're the number one and you've got all that experience behind you, um, yeah. which you can lean on you know and other people can lean on because there'll be there'll be girls um in that in that group that will be looking at looking at you as a as a senior member of the squad um for for guidance yeah and that's it you've got to remember how you act affects the group as well not just the group you're directly working with like you know what it's like i'm relying on my other goalkeepers to serve for me so if you're going to be in a mood or you're going to be annoyed at me or whatever i'm going to be annoyed at because I'm not starting, I directly impact the group. Mm. Now, is that going to make us a successful goalkeeping unit? Definitely not. Am I happy that I'm not playing? And maybe I think I should be, for sure. But let me deal with that in my private space. And these are things that you have to learn. But also, as you get older, you have to make sure that if you are in that position, the, the new goalkeepers that are coming through have to learn that experience too. You can be disappointed, but just don't do it at the right times. Mm. Um, have your personal disappointments and mean on your personal people to um, seek out those moments. But when it comes to that group, you have to be harmonious. You have to make sure that all, no all noses are pointing in the right direction mm. and effectively that everyone... Because a happy group, you know, it's like being a, a goalkeeping coach, a happy group of goalkeepers flies, like, and just all of a sudden everyone's making more saves than usual, everyone's in a good place. Absolutely. But you get that one baguette, bad egg, or that one person who's upset in the group, whatever. And everyone <laughs> feel often there's a, there's a taste in the air, there's a bit like, oh people are treading on eggshells, like people aren't working as hard or whatever, and you have to deal with that. That's just extra energy. But at a tournament or in big games, you can't afford to be to be losing. So mm. I think for me it was, do I want to be here and can I make it the best experience as possible? But also like what happens if, which is what happened in the World Cup uh, in France, is that all of a sudden you can be thrown into a World Cup semi-final. Now, if I had not prepared myself or I'd been the bad egg of the group or whatever, are my goalkeeping unit going to support me? Are people are going to be as supportive of me in those moments? Am I going to feel prepared crossing that white line against USA, run 50,000 people and 11.7 million people who are watching, whatever it is? Or am I going to go into it being like, come on, like you've earned this moment. This mm. is what you paid for. And am I just going to go out there and absolutely enjoy it as much as I can, knowing that everyone is also supporting me because that's what I've done for so long for them. So, yeah, yeah I think in that respect, I think there's a, there's a lot for... Look, being a goalkeeper, it's a special position for so many different reasons. And that's another part of the goalkeeping kind of union that people might not quite understand. But also it's it's such a learning curve for, I think, goalkeepers who haven't experienced what it's like to be in a group where you're not playing all the time either. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a very difficult um, position, the goalkeeper, goalkeeper's position, because ultimately there's only one space, only one position. Um, and it can be a very lonely job. Um, and although you are within a, a, a goalkeeping group, you know, um, if you're playing, 
it's happy days. And you know, if you're the the, the number two and the number three, you've got to find a way um, to put your personal disappointments to one side, almost park it, um, yeah. and, and refocus your mind on preparing the starting goalkeeper and making sure that you're as ready as you can be if anything happens. So I, I guess you 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 know when you look at your experiences. You've got quite um, quite a, a strong mindset. Yeah, I guess you could like looking back at it. Yeah, I think that without probably knowing that it was happening, I was slowly kind of I guess gaining resilience, gaining uh, having to learn to deal with disappointments, having to learn to deal with setbacks. That's just that's the beauty of what sport and, and football gives you is is those life lessons that I guess. On paper, when you learn to play the game, you don't realise that in the longevity of playing such a, an amazing game, it gives you those kind of life lessons along the way. And I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's it's helped me grow. Of course, I've been it's it's given me some of my worst moments, but it's all given me some also give me some of the best moments in my life. So I can't take those things away. And it's I think yeah, I wouldn't. I would look. I would love to sit in. So I've got 100 caps and two World Cups under my belt, um, but I haven't got those things. But I would. I would change my the course of my career for any any reasons because it's it's again made me who I am today. Today mm. and give me also so many experiences that um, yeah, some people will, will never be able to get in their lives. And yeah, that's why I was. I guess I, I class myself as very lucky. Yeah. So a, a lot of the things that you've you've said tonight were were my questions. Um, <laughs> So I've just let I've just let it flow. Um, so the questions at the end are probably not going to be as many. Um, but listen, as I said to you, CT, the the answers that you're giving and and the um, experiences that you've had, there's so much value to be taken out of this for uh, for the listeners, whether that's in the men's game um, or the women's game. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you're you oh, it is what it is. And yeah, it doesn't matter what. Um, whether you're male or female, the kind of goals are the same for all of us, whether you're uh, someone who plays the sport for fun or whether you play the sport because you want to be the best at what you do. Like mm. you, you are going to go along just like you do in life with some great highs and some great lows. But what do you learn in those moments? And I think for me, like say, I've always wanted to learn. Uh, I love learning. I didn't learn, like to learn at school, but I love to learn, uh, I guess, the, the rules of life and, and how to go about them and Thankfully, I get to be able to apply a lot of the things I've learned through such a beautiful sport into real life. Mm, yeah, I mean, that, I, I think that's probably why um, you you are an elite athlete. You know, you, you, your mindset, this is what I, I see um, through the different goalkeepers that I've coached over the years and bits and bobs, the ones that have made it and the ones that haven't made it. And it's such a thin line. Um, yeah. but I think the mindset side of things really does make the difference um, and as you said there or we've just been discussing you know the, the experiences that you've had over your career um, of, of you know at the end of your career now you're, you're using them and putting them into your not just your, your, your footballing career but your everyday life yeah definitely I think that for me, I think I've learned one of the biggest things that I've learned is that if you want something, like you can't rely on other people to do it for you. I think there's a period in my career where I probably expected goalkeeping coaches and coaches to help me in terms of they would come to me and be like, Carl, you need to work on this, you need to do this. No, no, no. If you want to go out and get it, like knock on the door, uh, ask questions, why am I not playing? What yeah. do I need to do? 
just be more proactive and productive with what you do because I think if you want to be the best it's all about fine margins and that can be the difference I think like say the detail and what you want to do at the elite level is so it's so minimal but if you want to be the best like you have to go after it and I would say that there was probably a period in my career where I should have went after it more and I didn't. Mm. Um, but again, that's that's what you learn. And I always say to, to young girls now, like, don't ever be afraid of, like, you're a coach, Glenn. Like, I'm sure if, if Elle or whoever you're coaching at the minute, the, the West Ham goalkeeper, it's like your door's always open. Like, what, we, what you love to do is to help. Like, that's what you love to do is help people get better, whether it's personally or on the pitch. And if someone knocks on your door and says, mate, like, you know what it is? at the weekend like crossing and just didn't feel right we go right mate come on then let's let's get the balls out let's get the, the, the air bodies out let's get you feeling good again Do you know what I mean if someone just doesn't see anything like how are you supposed to help them but no, exactly. like you can maybe see it the keeper is struggling as well but also you're like I need him to come to me I want him to come to me and be like look I want to do this I need to work on this like and that's the difference for me I think between like say the elite mentality or not an average mentality but you just can't always rely on other people to do the work for you. At some point, you've got to take the ownership and want to get better yourself and knock on the door. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that um, the people that I've worked with that have kicked on are the ones that have been proactive and the ones yeah. that want to get better, get to the next level. They're, they're, they're you know, they ask questions. You know, um, if there's certain things that may have not gone right in a game or in training or whatever, you know, they will come and seek me, find me out, and, and then ask the questions. And yeah. and obviously that's been your mindset. Um, so just finishing up, just on your career. So obviously from Notts County, uh, you went back to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. You've been there four years now. Um, obviously working with with my good friend Stuart Sell. Um, yeah. and then I saw recently that you're you're venturing into coaching now yeah so my tender age is uh, is is also take me to a place where I know that like all of us unfortunately um, the light is at the end of the tunnel in terms of probably my, my playing career but I also I probably never it probably sounds a bit big-headed of me but I never really wanted to play at a lower level than elite level and for me playing at Chelsea and, and playing for England if those things aren't achievable anymore then that's me kind of not chucking in the gloves because I have signed another year's deal at Chelsea and I still look but probably internationally then playing football isn't the be-all and end-all for me if I'm not going to play at the top level yeah. um, I never wanted to go to a lower league or whatever but also I wanted to, to find where given back starting to make my career about what I'm going to do after football. So, um, yeah, we had a long chat with Emma and Paul, who are um, obviously our, my manager and our general manager and alongside Stuart. And they both kind of earmarked me into how much I help with the youngsters at, at Chelsea. And um, Emma said, I'd, I've been waiting for one of the girls who's, who's retiring. Uh, none of them have done it yet to, to, to learn from me and to coach. Would you be interested? And I just said, look, I'd love to. I mm-hmm. think... Uh, we don't have enough female goalkeeping coaches, I don't think, in in the in the game at the minute. Um, Agreed. I think that there's a there's a big kind of gap in the market for that. I think that some of the men's coaches we've had come from the men's game, yourself included, have come over to the women's game, have been fantastic. Uh, but I just think that, like in most things, I think you need a sometimes you need. Um, to see someone like yourself in the game to, to kind of recognise um, how far you can go. So I yeah. think having probably more, not more females around, but if I can go back into it and help the girls. come. So I've signed a deal where I'll be the under-16s and under-18s kind of, of coach alongside the, the coaching staff that are there at the minute, as well as, like you say, support our 
pretty amazing goalkeeper group um, at Chelsea and play when needed to, but um, also focus on coaching. So mm. I feel really lucky to be asked uh, at such a, an amazing club with such an amazing setup. But like you, Glenn, you'll know how I how highly I think of Stu. I'm sure you're the same, but I think for me, he's one of the best uh, female coaches in the game. And to learn off someone like him to go back into the game. Um, I couldn't ask to be in a better place for that. And, and Stu's become not just a great coach, but a great friend. And um, hopefully he'll be able to put me on a good track for going back into the men, to the women's and the men's game uh, when it comes to coaching. Yeah, no, I, I, there's there's no one better to learn from <clears throat> than Serlo, to be fair. Uh, I, I remember actually meeting him uh, in a pub near Liverpool Street before I uh, decided to take the West Ham he might he may well have been I probably was as well just because it was a sunny day and the old bird's nest was uh, getting burnt up <laughs> but um yeah I you know he, he, the, the, the thing there was that he took you know time out of his day to come and meet me and obviously I'd known Stewie for a long time um, since I was actually his goalkeeping coach at Chelsea City um but yeah so you know it was a a, a bit of the unknown for me to leave the men's game um, take an opportunity in the women's game and and just to sit down with him and get his advice and you know talk to him about his experiences and and all the rest of it I mean it was it was um, so helpful to me at the time Um, and you know as we just discussed earlier obviously I was only in the women's game for a short period before I went back into the men's game but you know from from his side he, he yeah he's Definitely, definitely one of the best in the world. Um, so for you to learn from him, I think that's only going to be a benefit to you and and, and the goalkeepers that and, and players that you're going to be working with. Um, so, no, listen, I've got no doubt that you'll be a success in it as well. Um, right, so just a couple of questions just to finish up because we are just over the hour mark um, and I know that you've got things going on this evening so I don't want to take too much more of your time up. Um is there a favourite goalkeeper shirt that you've ever worn? Uh, to play in, I loved the like the old school baby blue England shirt. It was very famous. I think David Seaman wore it right. and David James. It was all baby blue. I think it had like blackish sleeves. That was my favourite kind of England one. But my first, my first ever Newcastle shirt, which had like um, it was Pavel Cernicek and um, Shaka. Shaka Hislop. And it had like the brown ale, but it had like the the skyline. Of oh, the I know it. It faded yeah. from like yellow to orange. <laughs> but that was like my first proper goalkeeper shirt. And obviously I just threw myself around like, and I, it's mad because I think I, I did an interview for like World Cup or something. And I mentioned Shaka Hislop's name and he replied to me on Twitter. And I was like, I used to want to be him. He was like class like back in the day. I used to throw myself around the garden. Have you and still I, got that shirt? I don't know. I definitely won't have that shirt. That would be long gone because I think I probably wore it to the bare bones anyway. Um, but yeah, I would have been maybe twelve or thirteen as well. So unless Mum kept it in the in the loft, then nah. But the, the blue England shirt I've got yeah. um, for sure. But yeah, I don't know if I've got that. But someone contacted me on Instagram for enough who like collect to do like the find you old shirts. Yeah. Put a request and see if you can find us that shirt because uh, I'm definitely after it. Well, you know, I don't know why I've got it, but I've got the um, the other shirt from that season, like the green Adidas one. Oh yeah, 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 with the the like black and white like rounded collar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why I've got it, I've no idea, but I I just <laughs> wore it when I was a kid because again I like Shaka Hislop like you, so. Yeah. 
crazy. It was so good. When he like, met, replied me on Twitter, I was absolutely buzzing. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's brilliant. Um, all right, so second question. Mm-hmm. And I always, when I ask this question, I always get it wrong, so I might have to ask it again. Um, <laughs> if you was at the start of your career again, and someone said to you, this is going to be the career that you're going to have, would you have been happy for where you're at now? Um, Does that make sense? <laughs> I would, normally I am now, I would say yeah, because, I, like you say, I was, unfortunately with a lot of injuries when I was younger, I dislocated my shoulder numerous times, had surgeries, etc. So I think going through that and, having setbacks and stuff, I would be happy where I am. But at the same time, I know when I was a kid, I was like, so I was like, see, at 18, I got my first cap. So I was like, that's it. I'm just going to play for England and get a hundred caps. It's like as easy as that. Um, so I think that you see when I first set out, I was pretty set on, on probably getting a lot more caps than, than I've, than I have. But at the same time, um, like say, looking back on it, I just, I have, I have no regrets. So it's probably a mixed one that, yeah, I think when I was a kid, I was so ambitious, but also you also don't know any kind of, you don't realise what setbacks are as a kid. You just, mm. just got to like plough through everything. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. So, yeah, I think looking back at the whole of my career, I think that I'd be I'd be happy if that's how it um, how it did pan out, how it has been out as such. Okay. So you've you just answered my second or third question, which was <laughs> going to be, do you have any regrets? So we'll leave that one because you said no. Um, okay, so last question. Yeah. Any advice to any young goalkeepers that are looking to make it in the game? What would your advice be? Um, be prepared to make sacrifices because you have to do them. Some and some you will not. It won't always be worth it, but some will. And you don't ever want to be left with the question of what if. Um, and also use your coaches. Um, knock on the door. Ask questions. Uh, be willing to learn and be will- be willing to be a student of the game because that's effectively what we all are. To be elite sports people, you have to learn the game inside and out and learn your position inside and out. Um, and that would be my advice is be hungry to learn and to be the best. Brilliant. Brilliant. CT, thank you, mate. I mean, tonight's been brilliant. Um, <clears throat> I, honestly, you know, there'll be listeners that are going to take so much value out of your experiences um, and I've I've really enjoyed the past hour. So listen, it's been a little little while since we last see each other. So next time the lockdown ends and, and we can get out, let's uh, get you d- back down to South End and we get some fish and chips in. I was going to say I was going to say uh, a strong ball because that's usually I owe you a strong ball for this, don't I? Yeah, pro- <laughs> or it might be the other way around. To be fair, but um, yeah, we'll, 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 hopefully we'll... I'll be uh, like say if I'm not the Olympics, I will be off for the summer, so I will definitely be coming to see you in there. Yeah, we'll have fish and chips and a non-alcoholic uh, strong. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant, CT. Thanks for your time, mate. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on Ministry of Goalkeeping. Cheers, mate. Take care. See you, mate. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave us a review, and follow us on social media to help spread the word of Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast. Goalkeeping podcast.